This is a special Queen City Improvement Bureau interview episode. Hello, it's just me, Paul DeShane, in the sub-basement today. Aiden Morgan is in the nether reaches of the air conditioning ductwork, completing our annual survey of silverfish habitat, so there won't be a regular meeting this week. Instead, I have an interview with Catalyst Committee co-chair and real CEO, Tim Reed, that I'm going to play later. Before we get to that, I should catch you up on some of what's happened since last week's QCIB meeting. On March 1st, the Executive Committee held their regular meeting, and it was entirely devoted to discussing the Catalyst Committee's recommendations. Those had been just released five days earlier. In case you've forgotten what those are, or are just tuning into this Catalyst drama, here are the key points from that. The Catalyst Committee recommended that the city's first Catalyst priority should be to build a non-vehicular trail system that would link downtown with the real district and the rest of the city's trail network. This was kind of interesting because this hadn't been a Catalyst project until this report was released. It was a new priority that they just discovered over the course of the uh, Catalyst Committee's work. The second priority in the committee's view uh, should be the Indoor Aquatic Center, and they recommended it be built at the site of the current Lawson Center. That's nice because it matches with what the public had been saying they wanted all throughout the committee's consultations. Keep the aquatic center at the sportsplex site where the Lawson Center currently is. The committee identified the modernization of the central library to be the third catalyst priority, while the fourth priority should be the downtown arena plan. And finally, the committee felt that the outdoor soccer and baseball facilities were insufficiently catalyzing and didn't really count as catalyst projects, and thus they recommended that uh, those two things should be returned to the regular recreation planning process. As for what uh, City Council did with the committee's recommendations, they kind of kicked the can down the road. Councillor Stevens argued that the public hadn't had enough time to really sort of absorb all of this catalyst information, so he uh, put forward a motion that ended up being successful to postpone a final decision on the bulk of these recommendations to the March 22nd council meeting. The Indoor Aquatic Center, however, was deemed to be a special case as the deadline to apply for federal infrastructure funding money, uh, that's coming up incredibly soon. So the fate of that Catalyst project is actually going to be decided at Council's March 8th meeting. So when you're listening to this, odds are that meeting on the Indoor Aquatic Center will have already happened. Okay, so just to be clear, because that was a big muddle of stuff, Uh, The arena, the library, the trail system, and the outdoor facilities, all those catalyst priorities are going to be debated and decided upon by council at their March 22nd meeting. But council should have given the Indoor Aquatic Center project a stamp of approval at their March 8th meeting, and that way we won't have lost out on $128 million of federal infrastructure funding. On top of all this, thanks to a motion from Councillor Nelson, City Administration will be running another short online survey to ask the public once again what they think about putting a new arena downtown. So far, every consultation that's been run suggests that Regina residents are very much not in favor of that location, and yet the Catalyst Committee is adamant that downtown is where you're going to get the biggest bang for your arena buck. Personally, I still fall into the downtown arena skeptic camp, so I gathered up all of my lingering questions about that recommendation, and I brought them to Tim Reed of Catalyst Committee fame. That's the interview you're about to hear. But first, fun behind-the-scenes fact. I sent in my request for an interview with Tim Reed the morning of March 6th and got a reply almost immediately saying, Tim had a meeting cancel, so how about in half an hour? That's not how these things usually work. I I figured I'd have like a couple days to really sort of hone my questions. Instead, I got about 20 minutes to put them together. Um, That was probably for the best. I usually leave these things to the last minute anyway, so this just saved me two days of feeling bad about procrastinating. Anyways, with that, here is my interview, finally, with real CEO and Catalyst Committee co-chair, Tim Reed. The arena is, like, 
largely the focus of the questions that I have for you today, which I suspect All right. you probably suspected. But I wanted to start uh, with something that kept coming up at council or executive committee. You were asked repeatedly uh, by councillors uh, what they could and couldn't do if they approved the Catalyst Committee recommendations. Um, I heard your answers. Uh, they were consistent. But I was kind of hoping, could you just like give me that answer one more time? Like w w once these once this report is passed to the next step, what power does council have to influence the way things go after that point? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I thought it was, I actually thought Wednesday was an interesting lens on perhaps council, how council was receiving this document. Yeah. Um, I, I think from a, from an author's perspective and from a co-chair's perspective, our intention was, hey, there's a whole bunch of projects that have showed up in front of city council. Each of them had been evaluated within an independent, you know, silo, for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. Go look at them for the first time as a holistic approach, as an independent group of people, and come back to us with our recommended path forward. And to, to me, the Catalyst report was, was more of a guiding document that says, hey, as you advance these over the next 15 or 20 years, think about this sequencing and these sites, and uh, here's some things to consider around all of those sites. What I felt on Wednesday was 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 this was almost etched in stone, and I don't know that that was the intent of the document. I think the intent of the document was to be fairly highly strategic, but allow council and frankly city administration that if they bumped into things along the journey that should change the course to do so. Right. And so, um, you know, my perspective was: here's the sequencing, here's the sites, here's the best information we were able to assemble, and our reasons why. But if you want to change them, you as council can always do so. But this should be your start. Right. And um, and where I thought this was a planning document that was at a very, very high level, uh, what I took from city council was they were looking for something that was almost black and white. You know, if, if we approve this, yeah. it's done and we can't change it. And and I would suggest that I don't think that was the intent of the document. Um, I think council should always have the ability to change things. But I do think we have to have a plan. I think, you know, if you look at the Catalyst Committee report, there's 10 or 12 years of running around building plans. And it, my challenge going through the process was there wasn't a lot of common thread between some of them. Yeah. You know, if you think about all the buckets of plans that are in that, how you pull those together seems more challenging than perhaps I thought it should have. I hope that the Catalyst Committee essentially assembles a plan, but I don't think anybody should believe that you can't change it. One of the challenges that has been highlighted, and I don't know if you can answer this question, but it just, it's, I'm twigging off something you just said. Uh, we do have a lot of plans. Uh, there was this idea through all of this, this whole planning process that I, that I sort of started following in, in about 2008. Uh, phrases that I hear now as being new things are like breaking down the silos between departments and working together and uh, making our plans harmonious. We've been hearing this for a very, very long time, like since 2008. This is what's supposed to be going on. And these, all these plans were supposed to, like from the downtown plan to the core plan to the OCP to the RRI, all these things were supposed to be integrated and working together. And yet it seems like they haven't. Do you have a sense of where the breakdown was? Like what was the thing that was missing? And how, like, how are we going to avoid this plan having the same fate? I actually think it probably ties back to your prior discussion where, in, in my opinion, perhaps that's what council was hoping this document would do, <laughs> is tie them all together and pull them together and put a bow on it. And and which is why the outcomes were felt more absolute than I yeah. think we felt they were as a catalyst committee. I'll start by saying I don't think it's unique. You know, I have the privilege of working in a lot of other cities, worked across Canada. Um, that idea of silos and plans that don't don't integrate, I would say, is is not uncommon to Regina. I do think it's unfortunate anywhere that you bump into it because it, they should. They should be strategic leading governance documents. Um, and I, I will also say that the quality of the work that I reviewed on behalf of the city of Regina was extraordinary. Um, I, I don't hope that I ever read that many documents about planning in the city of Regina ever again, but right. 
what I read, um, which was a massive amount of work to your point over 10 or 12 years, yeah. I thought the quality of it was very good. In, in fact, it was extraordinary. I struggled to see how they work together. So to your point, I think cities will always talk about breaking down silos and you know finding a way to work. I think it's based on two things, however. One, city councils change. And they need to be reminded by administration that these are these these are strategic documents that exist. And coming to my prior comment, I think council can change a strategic document anytime they want with a vote of council. But I think part of the jobs that we have as administration is to remind them of the plans that are in place. And the fact that if they do want to change those, then they actually have to draft a new plan. And so often I think we take the pieces of plans we like, we ignore the elements of plans that we don't, and I think there is a role between council and administration. Council's job is to recognize that even if they're new, the plans that they've inherited are not. And I think councils either need to formally change those plans or they need to agree to continue them. And I think part of the role that we have as administration is to remind you know, our elected officials that, hey, these are the plans, this is what's in place. And some of the decisions that you might be making may actually not be collaborative with those strategies. And so either set a new strategy or consider different choices. Point that Lisa Gibbons from the Warehouse Business Improvement District pointed out was um, she she pointed to a lack of leadership, especially where the yards is concerned. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but would you co- like? Can you comment on the state of leadership now versus the state of leadership that has been kind of guiding plans up until now? In some ways, what I would suggest from my side is you. Know, I was so focused at the early onset of my career, just trying to figure out real and try to understand how it was working. And, and the fact that we had the stadium addition and this, this interesting relationship with the, with the city who is our owner and, and owns all the assets. Yeah. And so part of that, I would say I was new. You know, part of what I recognize today is, um, you know, we have a, a mayor that I had the privilege of working with here. So I understand you know, I understand the way she works in some ways because I, she was our board chair for, for the start of my career. Um, from a council perspective, I, I as in, you know, from an individual standpoint, I work really well with all the councillors. In fact, I, I appreciate each of them and, and, and kind of the strengths that they bring to council. From an administration standpoint, anytime you see a change in leadership and have had the chance to, to work with, with Nikki quite a bit, um, since she's arrived. And I mean, she seems excellent, but I think change is never easy. Mm-hmm. And so from a leadership perspective, what I will say is, you know, 10 years ago, there was an RRI plan. That plan was built. Um, we didn't achieve beyond the stadium. And I think we should reflect on why. And, you know, now we're trying to sequence things differently, which in some ways is almost in contradiction to that RRI plan. And so my belief on it is I, I don't know that that leadership has been good or bad. I appreciated working with, uh, you know, our previous mayor, Mayor Fougier. He, he was wonderful to me in my tenure. I appreciated working with Chris Holden and his staff. They were excellent to me. Um, and, and both of them were super easy to work with. And I would say I, I'm thankful that the city has more permanent leadership in place with Nikki. I, I look forward to working with her and, you know, certainly from a from a mayor's standpoint, I know what her expectations are, and they're high. And I, I generally try to avoid her as often as possible so that I don't get more work. Right, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. But no, I I, I do think, um, and I don't want to avoid your question. Sure. I don't know why. I don't know why the yards hasn't moved faster. Yeah. I think it should have. Yeah. Um, and and I think we should ask ourselves. You're listening to a Queen City Improvement Bureau interview with Catalyst Committee co-chair and real CEO Tim Reed on 91.3 FM CJTR, tuned into the community. But with respect to the, the RRI, has there been any sort of formal, uh, I don't know what you call it, I think there's actually a name for this, but like sort of a, a failure assessment, like a, a, a formal process where you look at a project that you were supposed to do that hasn't turned out the way that you expect to sort of identify the failure points so that you can avoid those. Has there been any sort of like analysis like that done at the city or at real? Yeah, uh, so it, it certainly hasn't been done at real. Um, through the catalyst process, we ask that question often. Mm. And 
And I think this is why in the Catalyst Report you saw it so important, those pillars that we talked about right. and those measurements. Because if if you if you look at the RRI process, we were to build a we were to build new mosaic stadium. Yeah. It, it wasn't about building a district around it. There was no concept about anything more. We we're gonna build a football stadium. And whether we like it or not, or we should put a roof on it or not, or or it's we're still paying for it or not. The reality of it is it's there. The first phase of the RRI was done. The second phase was to go to the yards. The third phase was to go to Taylor Field. But there was no timelines on any of that. And so if it, I don't know because of that measurement where you whether you could actually say it ever failed. I, I think <laughs> okay, there was okay. just this open-ended at some point we're going to do the yards. At some point we're going to do Taylor Field. Concurrent to that process, we invited a whole bunch of consultants in. And they did a whole bunch of interesting site planning around those facilities, whether we agree with them or not. And we rolled out these images. And as you know, the minute you show somebody a picture, yeah. it, it's like it's reality. And so when we show this massive density at the yards or this this really integrated mixed-use development at Taylor Field, everybody goes, hey, that's what's supposed to be there. Well, 10 years later, the economics are different. The realities of our city are different. And, and we still don't have a timeline for those. So what I would say, you know, my my opening comment around, did we have a failure? No, we didn't look at it. I actually think that not being clear on the deadlines, we just simply fell short. Right. And so if if I said to you, you have to file a story sometime, you might take a lot of time to file that story. And um, I think the Yards and Taylor Field, because they didn't have a firm deadline, I think they were allowed to stretch and we find ourselves where we are. Yeah. To speak to sort of people's expectations versus reality, um, one of the things that happens in these processes is that a lot is asked of people, right? Like um, the public, you know, comes like a lot of people like and for the Catalyst thing, there were a lot of faces that I did not recognize coming out to these sessions. Yeah. Um, so a lot of time is asked of people to come to these meetings. Uh, people have sort of assumptions and uh, things that they're comfortable with that are being challenged by these processes. And so they go on a journey from the beginning of the consultation to when a re report comes out with these concept sketches. And so they're being asked, and there's also a lot of money that's being asked of the public, yeah. right, in terms of taxpayer cash. So when they see these drawings, it's not like, it's. It, I think it's not a failure of reasoning to expect something of them. You know what I mean? That people, uh, in, in a way, this is what they've bought with their time and their energy is that they get they get this sense of what they're going, what they've spent their energy on. Uh, and I think that's why people were so frustrated uh, to have the rug pulled out from underneath them, because a lot of energy was put into the RRI in terms of just, you know, getting to that point of public buy in, which there was a lot at the time. Right. Okay. So. Well, I think to how this comes back to leadership or decisions that we've made, uh, I think foundationally that the Catalyst Committee, although I don't think it changed that much in the end, had the potential to change a lot. Mm -hmm. And so there was a plan that was embraced by the community. It was it was engaged upon by the community and, and, and really was crafted. Now, that plan really didn't work for 10 years because it didn't advance yeah. at a time where you know, the, the economics of the province were reasonable, borrowing rates were good and access at an opportune time. Yeah. So fast forward, you find yourself 10 years down the road and, and you got a committee coming in saying, hey, we're going to reimagine this. I, I actually think that's probably good planning process. However, that doesn't mean that those thoughts and hopes and dreams that everybody had of the past, you know, aren't at risk. And I, I certainly can appreciate it. I can also appreciate the fact that when you work in the world that I do and you see this site planning tool all the time, it is very familiar. Right. Um, yeah. Most people don't get to do that. We just read about it every now and then. And and the process, it, it's not an easy process, to be honest, because it is um, it's complicated and it's and, and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, whether you go ahead or you don't. And, and it really is engaging because people will, everybody has an opinion on what they want their city to be. And so it actually makes cities such great places. One element of sort of the overall city planning that did change is this idea of putting the arena downtown, which is something that the Catalyst Committee is sticking with. Uh, yeah. Last week, I'm, I expect you heard this on Wednesday, the CBC had a, a sports economist on to talk about uh, the the idea that a lot of these like promises, these promises of economic benefit from arenas in downtowns tend to be overblown. And he, he focused a lot on substitution effects that you're not actually bringing new that the models 
treat it as new money, but it's actually just money that's being shifted from one part of the city to the other. And that the the wealth generated is not new wealth and it's not it's not nearly at the scale that models often uh, suggest. Now, this, this is his argument. Like, how would you respond to that? I always love when, when we bring academics into this discussion because for every academic that says, hey, this is a bad idea, I can find an academic that says it's a great idea. Yeah. So I appreciate the perspective. I actually appreciate that some of the speakers that I heard about it were incredibly well-versed, and I would say tr- truthfully leaders in this space. Yeah. I think what's unique about our scenario, so I'll come back to the point. 20 years from now, Paul, somebody's going to be telling you an arena in a downtown is a great thing, and somebody's going to tell you it's a terrible thing and it doesn't yeah. math. Um, what I always find interesting is I think those data sets are meant to be debated. And one of my first jobs was working at StatsCan, and I always say my boss brought me in, they gave me a pack of paper, and he said, write a 500-word write a essay or, or on you know this perspective. The next day I came in and gave me the same package of paper. He said, write a 500-word position on the complete opposite. You know, Data can be used however you wish it to be used, and the debate's healthy. What I would say in our scenario that is unique is from an arena perspective, we're saying the taxpayer is still going to pay for it. So if you look at the data sets and the, the economic lift that we're suggesting, and, and I don't know that the that, that those that have re- reviewed it actually went and looked, we're actually saying the amount that we're going to recover on tax lift and on economic development is frankly so small that the taxpayer is still going to have to pay this. And so a little bit of a different model. Yes, we believe that because of density, downtown's where you end up with the economic output. Um, but we're not suggesting at any point that the economics of you know tax assessment or business growth is going to pay for this arena. We're actually suggesting it's going to have to be the taxpayer uh, primarily. And so although I appreciate the debate, I could probably find as many people that would argue on the other side that would suggest that these are great things. Um, and ultimately, I think what we're suggesting is we're a bit of a different city. If we want to build a new event center, we believe because of the economics that should go downtown. Um, but we also believe that it's likely going to be owned by the city and they're going to have to be the primary funding agent. OK, uh, that's fair. Uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to press the argument a bit on the uh, sure. the issue with the arena downtown, because when I was reading the report, uh, especially in the. Uh, the methodology sec- methodology section around uh, how you generate how you calculated economic benefit. Yeah. I also noticed the same kind of thing that there was uh, there was a scrupulous accounting of tangible and intangible benefits that could fall out from an arena downtown, but there wasn't a lot of subtraction. There wasn't a lot of like discussion of you know potential pitfalls, intangible uh, downsides that come with putting arenas in uh, dense places like downtowns. There also was no discussion of opportunity costs. So what are we giving yeah. up by taking this prime piece of downtown land and putting something there that you know, generates a certain type of economic activity instead of another type of economic activity. So it, it, it does seem to me that there was a sort of, uh, uh, there, there, there was this, uh, you know, absence of, I don't know, like expanded vision about what, what should be done here. Um, was, was, I don't know, was that intentional or? No, I don't. I, so the, Couple things that I would suggest is I, I think from from a from a baseline wh- whether you're the guy from the U.S. or the guy from Northern B.C. last week that that had comments about hey that the, these things don't work. If I looked at every arena that's been built in the last fifteen years in Canada, you and I would have to work really hard to find one that wasn't built in a downtown. Okay. Now, that doesn't suggest that Regina should be the one that comes up with a whole new way of building entertainment districts, but uh, I would suggest that most of them find their way down there. So we'll start yeah. with that. I think we would also be reasonable to say, if even if we decide we want to fight about the economic lift, the impact of, of an event center in an area has economic lift around it, however, you, whether that's large or small. What was interesting about the arena project and I said this on Wednesday, was whether it was the Arena Planning Committee or the Catalyst Committee, the perspective that everybody had was go and tell us where, go tell us a place that if you put in a multi-purpose event center there, uh, 
will generate the most economic win. And so yeah. what we did is we looked at the assembly of lands and we did the math on it, as you've seen, to yeah. say, hey, this is how it works. I don't think we looked at the downside of, hey, what do we lose in opportunity? So to your point, I, I, I don't think we did. I think our focus was if we could find how do we assemble four acres of land and then how do we look at what the economic win would be based on what we felt to be best practices? The challenge with that is because the public's always going to say we don't want to read it downtown. Well, that's a bit of a different question than we were asked to perform. The question that we were asked to perform was, go tell us where to put an arena that will generate the most economic impact. Right, right, right. Based on the density of downtown, you actually have no choice but to go downtown. And so if if the question of the Catalyst Committee was, hey, go tell us where to put an arena, I could give you 25 sites in, in the city where we could put an arena. But when you frame it in the sense of, you know, hey, where do you want to put an arena that's going to generate the most economic win? Yeah, it ends up downtown. It, it just has to because of the density of our city. So to your point, could we have looked at, hey, what was the opportunity cost or what was the downside? Or show me five other arenas that, that didn't work very well. Um, best practice in Canada is find a way for those event centers to end up downtown. I don't think we hid from the fact that this was not going to be a facility that was we were going to need to pay for as a municipality. You know, we weren't proposing that we're going to pay for this through TIF. In fact, we early on said we're not going to pay through this through tax incremental financing. And I think the last piece is because of the density of our downtown and the lack of density that we have in other parts of our city. If the first question that you ask is tell us what are the best economic wins for a midsize arena, it, it ends up downtown 10 times out of 10. If you change the question, you might you might have ended up in different places. To speak about the 11th time out of 10, we, we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, trying to like look at our plans holistically, not having silos be- yeah. between things and the planning that has led us to here. Um, one of the one of the foundational elements of the downtown plan is this notion of it being a live work downtown. And that the, the downtown that we have is very much focused around Victoria Park and the library. <clears throat> and so it's, in a way of, and the mall, also the mall. So I think those are like sort of currently those are the three nodes, the library, the park, the mall. So that is a very sort of like family friendly, almost like a residential sort of, uh, you know, that's like, those are the elements that you want to have in a residential area. And meanwhile, across- With no residents, right? Like the challenge with it is we, we, we're lacking on the residential 100%. piece. But to your point, those are great catalysts for residential, I would yep. suggest. Yeah. But I asked you this in the uh, the technical briefing about, you know, the difficulty of assembling land downtown because we have we yeah. have everything set up for the downtown plan to work, but we have landowners who want to keep their parking. But that's let's set that aside for a second. Yeah. Um so it seems to me then that like and I and I did this exercise uh, for the prairie dog, this notion of like what what other opportunities could we put into this context? And I thought, you know, the Catalyst Project that makes sense in that context is the Aquatic Center. You put that downtown where you're thinking about putting the arena. Meanwhile, across the tracks, we have the Yards District, which yeah. is uh, the mayor talked about nightlife districts and how this is like an, a, an area of study that people don't pay attention to enough. It is identified by the city center core uh God, Development Advisory Committee Yeah, as the nightlife district for the city. We have a plot of land there that we own. And this is all the kind of business that would benefit from the kind of like economic lift that an arena would would generate. So it seems to me that from where I'm sitting, and this is the thing that flabbergasts me about this whole process, is that your numbers always come out to say the yard's is not the place for the arena, but the downtown is, even though in my head, the downtown is supposed to be this live, work, residential space someday. And the yards is supposed to be the place where you have, you know, uh, lively hockey fans tumbling out into the streets at 11 o'clock at night looking for a place to have a pint of beer. So, like, can you comment on, like, like I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see yeah. how this is not the obvious choice. So... I'll I'll start with the aquatics piece and then I'll I'll talk about the the the, the event center piece. So, I I think aquatics facilities work in downtowns and and I've run run and built a lot of aquatics facilities, some of the largest in Canada. They work in downtowns when it is 
you know, YMCA's. Sure. Yeah. And so it's it's targeting the downtown resident. It's not targeting the Tim Reeds or the Paul Duchesnes, you know, who who are you know have a different experience perhaps going to that that facility. So if we had a population where we were building multiple aquatic centers, I, I actually agree with you. I think there's some great models of downtown aquatics facilities that work really well. They are fundamentally dependent upon, upon downtown residential. Yeah. And so before we talk about the downtown. And, and, you know, I, I'll get beat up on this till the end of time. We lost residents in the last five years in downtown. Yep. Our plan around downtown residential is not working. And, and, and I can't actually tell you why, but, but we have to fix that. I mean, probably the most important to me, probably one of the most important things that we have is generating downtown residential. We, we have to get people living down there. Nothing works without residential. If we had residential, I think an aquatic center would make a lot of sense. Without residential, I think an aquatic center will be empty downtown. Sure. I, I don't yep. think our existing users, um, you know, Tim, as a, as a guy who's, who's, you know, son's an existing user, I'm not driving downtown because I'm going to complain about parking and all the things that the best of us in Regina do and in every other city. To, to the arena discussion, I'm going to come back to the driver. As soon as you say the economics, you just draw a one kilometer radius around it. And, and, and it ends up being forced downtown. I think the yards is a great side. As, as the individual that operates real, I have a fantastic, you, know, you can see a fantastic image of how that tucks into our sports and entertainment district right now. And so I, I think if you took that driver of show me where the best economic win is, I, I think the yards are real become two really compelling sites. Ironically, I think if you do the assessment of why real versus why the yards, I think the yard still comes in in third place again. Really? For sure. Wow. Okay. Um, and, and it's simply because of the assembly of assets that are here already. Yep. Right? If, if you think about the ability that the six arenas of the cooperator center would have with that facility or, you know, the the complementary use of the massive amount of parking. To your point, there's almost 4,000 parking stalls here that, that we built and we have to have. Programming those year-round are, are really useful. So... I like the idea of the event center at the yards. However, I think if you move it out of downtown, you naturally have to say, should it be at real or should it be at the yards? You know the public position on that. It, it's you know pretty open, pretty up in the air. Um, but but I actually think that that's not as easy as saying, hey, we should go to the yards. The other piece with the yards is when you fulfill the commitments of the federal funding, there is not a lot of land there. Mm-hmm. And so if you fulfill those those commitments, you essentially use almost all of the land but two acres on the event center. Not that that's good or bad. Um, and, and I think it certainly could create a great district, like a fantastic district. But um, take away the economics, I think the yards or real become good solutions for potential event center. Yeah, see, that takes me a, a little bit back because the – the requirements of the federal funding to do the Dudney project. I am surprised that it like it it co-opts that much space that because again, going back to those drawings that we've we've yeah. been handed, I, it very much made it look like an event center was within well it's like the thing that was being considered, certainly not a pool for the yards. It was definitely always there was like a big building on the site in everything yeah. that I ever saw. And it was always talked about as a potential replacement for a brand or just an event center, right? A generic event center. So it does, it does surprise me that it would. Uh, so what changed? Like it was, was it just this like needing of a, uh, a, a pond? Yeah, uh, uh, no. So, so if I break it down, it's actually really interesting because I, I think this is, I don't know who did the prior study. I, I just can't yeah. remember the, the, the firm that did it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if we just understand more effectively what, what the cost of development there is going to be. But when we did the assessment, um, there, there's about six things that have to happen. You know, Number one is there's a bridge that has to be developed. Yeah. That bridge needs a landing site, which is going to take up about an acre of land. And so if you yeah. think about a bridge and coming over the tracks and the height, there's a block of land that you lose because of the bridge and the receipt of the bridge. You got to plant 500 trees and basically build a park that is two acres of land. Yep. You have to build residential development, and I think it's 100 or 20, 120 or 140 room, uh, yeah. you know, residential units. Um, so that's a couple of acres of land. 
you have a railway setback that we know that we right. now need, which yeah. is two acres of land. Yeah. You got about an acre of reclaimed environment that could you use, could you not? And then you have a detention pond that's three acres. And so when you subtract all that, you get to this place that you kind of got six or seven acres available. Okay. Now, you could hide detention ponds and you could be creative with with finding land. I don't want to minimize the fact you could do some good things there. But when you add in everything that comes with that $11 million or $11.5 million from the feds, most of that land disappears pretty quick. Is the residential development like absolutely necessary for this funding and the bridge absolutely necessary? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, my belief is yes. Okay. based on the terms of the grant that I've seen. Okay. Now, with anything that's a federal grant, I think you have the ability to reposition it or negotiate it or whatever you do. But based on the terms that are there is, you know, we have to build, a, you know, 100 plus residential units. We have to build the, the park. We have to build the bridge. And if you think about those, those are massive capital outlays, whether we do it as a city or, or somebody else does. So um, my understanding is, yes, you have to build those things. Uh, I'm getting a notice here that we've got five minutes left. Yeah. Um, so I had like I've had about a thousand questions, but I'm going to like fire away. The last one I'm going to hit you with is uh, you mentioned something that I had not noticed before during the technical briefing. I think it was, or maybe it was during council. This idea of there being a hundred hours of programming a year for this arena, and then you mentioned rec skating or rec hockey on top of that. Is the rec hockey on top of the one hundred? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if you looked at the existing use of the brand center, we, we, we do the Pats games, we do concerts, we do everything else. Whenever it's not being used, it's a recreational sheet. So, you know, that we'll do a, everything from, you know, young Timbits hockey to, and the idea with it is, is everybody gets the chance to skate in, in our tier one arena. Right. And so um, the brand center outside of, you know, event use, it sits at 96% utilization of all the ice. So it's a well-used building, but it's not 5,000 people. It's, you know, it's 50 because it's two teams and seven or eight moms and dads. Will there be built into this from day one, the notion of rec skating? So could I go in there on like a random Tuesday, <clears throat> rent skates with my kids and go skating on the ice at this arena? Like, is that yeah. going to be one of its core functions? Yeah. Because that radically changes the math on this project. Completely. So if I was to use an example at, at, you know, Rogers Place in Edmonton has a community rink that's adjacent to it. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and it, it comes with all the challenges of a, of a downtown arena. Most people aren't taking their hockey bag on the bus. Yeah. And so, you know, how we get people there are important. But the idea with it is, is, yeah, this is our event center. But but for 250 days a year, it it actually has to be you know, a, a recreational tool for us. Yeah. Would there be like, say, not just in like, you know, when the right ice isn't being used for hockey in the winter, like, could I go skating in say July yeah. and rent skates yeah. there? Yeah. So, sorry, great question. I, I don't know that they were, were that far into the planning of it, mm -hmm. but if you look at how we use the, the brand center today, um, actually, if you and I were to wander over there today, there would be community skating going on right now. Sure. And so the idea with it is, is there should, you know, public access to skate, it becomes a recreational tool when it's not in event mode. And again, this is way too early to be asking this, but I mean, one of the things that you see from these like arenas is that they're mostly blank walls. If you put For them sure. in your downtown, would there be a consideration of the fact that if you're going to have this as being an active use space during the day when it's not being used for events, if there is some openness in the design, whether it's through windows or whatever, that that would like increase the activity of this space in whatever context it's put in? Is that going to be part of the planning or is this too early to even like mention yeah. this? I think it's probably too early, but but I actually would, would say I think it's a great point. We... Um, we, we've recently partnered with the Farmer's Market and the Cooperator Center. Mm -hmm. If we knew the Farmer's Market was going to go in there every Saturday, we would have done some things different in the design of that building that would have made it great for the Farmer's Market right. and yeah, great yeah. for us. Yeah. You know, and I think those, the concept that, that an arena simply can't be an arena or a library can't only be a library or a soccer facility, like we, we're not big enough to have these things be sold a single purpose. So um, an arena is a big, ugly building even if you do it in a really sexy kind of way. Yeah. You can look at the nicest arenas in the world. And and when they're dormant, you know, they are big and they've got a lot of blank space. So to your point, I think we should figure out how we include the public space. The nice thing about where we sit is with a professional facility, you tend to try to keep people out. This isn't really a professional. It's a recreational amenity that happens to do some concerts and, you know, host hockey games. But 
the public realm space, you know, the suites might be meeting rooms, the the corridors could be, you know, pop-up areas. We're not there yet, but I think functionally that's what, how you'd have to think about it in a downtown. And there's a great potential for that if we do it right. If we design it wrong, then we'll end up with a big four-acre building. You're listening to a Queen City Improvement Bureau interview with Catalyst Committee co-chair and real CEO Tim Reed on 91.3 FM CJTR, tuned into the community. You got anything else? I, I, nobody's screaming at me. So if there's anything else you wanted to do, uh, we can certainly connect. I got a few more minutes. Okay. Well, then, uh, my suspicion is that that some of the that it isn't just the economic benefit is the calculation for putting an arena downtown. That there is a sort of like an indication or an assumption that there is land or money available if we put the arena downtown. Uh, from everything I've heard, there does seem to be a sense that there's more going on behind the scenes, that there's a, a stronger understanding of what money and grant money will drive the uh, the ability of the city to make these, to do these projects and the timing that we do them in. Uh, I'm, I, I, I see this reflected darkly in a lot of uh, the, the, the reports and the, the statements that you've made and other people have made. And I don't understand why there hasn't been a little bit more uh, sort of transparency about that in the communications about the uh, Catalyst projects. I'll, I'll start with a, I think it's fair. I, I think it's a good comment, to be honest. Um, and, and I'm actually happy to answer it on the record because yep. I think that's probably helpful for us. So it, I don't think the land is prescribed. And, and, and I want to be be clear with that. Yeah. Uh, we looked at four sites downtown. I think you could pick any four of them and our downtown small enough that that, that they would work. Um, to be honest, of, of the sites that, that if you were asked me personally, which would be the best one, um, uh, I like many of the other ones over the one that was, okay. you know, shortlisted okay. um, for a variety of reasons. That being said, and I, I think the comment on, on around funding is, is probably accurate. But, you know, our belief, and I, I would say this is educated, and, and we've spent a lot of time meeting with the folks we need to meet with and um, on all the projects, you know, not just the ones that, that wearing my real hat I'd be responsible for. And so in many ways, this has drifted into a conversation about, hey, how do we find funding? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Ms. Barry Lacey and his team, you know, scared us pretty good about, hey, we can't afford any of these things unless we find <laughs> yeah. partners. Yeah. And, and and I would start with that. Like as a city, we're, we're not buying these things because we simply can't afford it. So part of the driver has to be where do you find money? Uh, I do believe that there is provincial awareness around the need to replace the brand center. And I do believe that um, there's a willingness to listen and a willingness to consider it. And more importantly, there's there's a desire to be able to align the thoughts of, of Regina and Saskatoon as, as we're both pinging the province for, for investment. So I'll start by saying I'm quite optimistic that the province of Saskatchewan will find a way to support infrastructure development around multipurpose event centers. Whether that's today or tomorrow or 10 years from now, I, I don't know. But my inkling on it is I, I, I'm quite optimistic that it's sooner than later. Okay. And, and um, and from a real perspective, you know, my hope is that we can work that negotiation into the $2.6 million funding agreement that we have is real with the province. Okay. And so, you know, if I was to peel back the layers to that is we got a, a deal that expires in 2020, um, you know, it's not insignificant. It's related to casino funding, but our push has been, we'd like the province to play a role on the, the event center. I don't actually think the province cares where we put it. Okay. I actually think the province cares that we're aligned and that if there is a willingness to participate in this, that that it becomes a win for the province and that we, we don't end up with a whole bunch of controversy over the site. So uh, I would say, you know, from provincial standpoints, less about the site and probably more about how do we align with Saskatoon? How do we do with this grant funding that's coming to a close? You know, and, and how do we take, how do we take advantage of fairly good economic times in the province? Yeah. So concurrent to that, um, and, and I think this is where this library discussion starts to pull in. 
and uh, you know, I know I know your sentiment and others on it, and and I don't know that I disagree with much of it, to be honest. Yeah. But if you think about a multi-purpose event center walking to the federal government and saying, "Hey, will you write us a check?" Um, the federal government has less of an appetite to invest in event centers. I will say some of it is shifting because of the urgency that we're seeing in downtowns across Canada. Mm-hmm. And some of it ties into the green building revitalization fund. So I wouldn't say that it's a hard no, but I would say the politics of it is generally the federal government doesn't like putting money into event centers. Yeah. And the challenge with that is if we have a province that we think wants to put money into an event center, and we have a federal government that doesn't like doing it, the library ends up being the project that's outstanding. Yeah. Our hope is if there was a way to bring those projects together as one larger package, you know, in a, in, in a bucket that is a third, a third, a third funding, is there a way to find a, you know, rather than taking a $100 million arena project, a $100 million library project, you know, and, and, and displacing those, if we could somehow bring those together and say provincially, can you put some money into a, an arena which you like? Federally, can you put some money into a library which you like? We essentially have to come up with a third of that project versus you know, something different. So that's, I, I would say the only thing behind that for full transparency that's driving it is is the ability to work the funding mechanism around an, at a library and an event center. Right. The feds are likely to like the library. The province is likely to like the event center. And if we can pull those two somehow into a greater vision of revitalizing downtown, we actually might be able to find the money for both of those and, and save, you know, the city of Regina quite a bit. Whereas if we separate them, one of those projects is probably not going to go for a while, uh, a long while. And then on yeah. top of it, we're finding fun, you know, we're finding the money on two projects versus versus on one. So yeah. um, for full transparency, I think what's driving it is, is is the funding opportunity around creating one very large project versus keeping them separate. The pressure that that's going to put on is timing. Because you know, the affordability of that, if money falls from the sky, is the city of Regina will have to respond to it. Yeah. Um, and we'll have to come up with the money. So uh, I, I don't honestly, and I know there's lots of questions around it, and, and maybe we haven't been as clear as we needed to. The province had $100 million and the feds had $100 million. And we can come up with $100 million. You could probably build it all yeah. as one larger city, you know, redevelopment project. But if you separate... You know the 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 event center, and go. Hey, province, we come up with some money. We may not be able to access, you know, federal money for it. Yeah. And if you get money for a library, which we believe exists, we may not be able to access provincial money for it. Right. And so, yeah. by in in a system where we kind of need a third, a third, a third, by connecting them somehow, and I don't know, they have to be physically connected. That, but at least in the concept of revitalizing downtown, they have to be connected. We feel like there's a funding mechanism that that all if we don't receive, we just simply wouldn't be able to proceed. Right. Okay. I think that answers my question. Yeah, um, I, I know it's a long one, but no, 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 hopefully no, no, no. it was clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as clear yeah. as it can be. I mean, right? it, it's it's a it's a two hundred million dollar math question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and and behind that is probably a multi billion dollar economic, you know, city center core discussion. If we get it wrong. It's also, though, that we have so many of these going on right now. Like we have Dudney, we have downtown revitalization, we have Sask Drive, we have 11th Avenue, we have on Arcola Avenue, like all of these things happening all at the same time, all like split three ways. Um, Yes. I don't know how, like I would not want to be in administration right now trying to coordinate all of these projects. Well, I actually think... If if you reflect upon the way cities get built, right, in many ways, it's where do you find funding? I mean, you've seen the math and the catalyst report, and and I want to minimize it. Part of this game is where where can you drive a sales pitch that somebody's willing yeah. to buy into? Yeah. Um, and and if the money's there, you know, if you can fund 60 percent of a project, you know, through other levels of government, that's that's fifty or sixty percent that we don't have to fund through the taxpayer. Yeah. You know, to see that's growing two to three percent a year, we just can't afford those things. And so, uh, yeah, to your point, I think if the money's there, you you almost have to grab it. Yeah. And 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 then 
when you deliver on those, pro- they're all timeline driven, yeah. right? So, so if you say you're going to build a library, you only have so much time to do it. And so um, I do believe there's money available. I also think we should recognize that from a federal government standpoint, um, we have to work pretty hard to be able to connect federally yeah. with uh, with our province and make sure that there's a willingness to to do business here. But there's also a requirement for them to to take care of Saskatchewan like they do other provinces. And and we've seen really positive responses from the federal government. You know, and meetings that I've had, there is certainly not a lack of interest or a lack of willingness. And yeah. you know, I walked away from Ottawa going, I think there's a desire to do something. And it's why we're pushing so hard for that concept of shovel ready. Yeah. Um, if, if if we're prepared, we can access funds. If we're ill-prepared, it'll go to another province. Hopefully that's clear. I, yeah, I don't I want to be vague, is, yeah. but, you know, truth of the matter is, as one $300 million project, we might be able to find, hundred, you know, $200 million from other levels of government. As two separate projects, we think it would be harder. Okay, well, I'm going to let you go. Cause All right, thanks for the chat. Been, yeah. No, thank you. I, I appreciate, really appreciate it, Paul. It. And that was my interview with Catalyst Committee co-chair and real CEO, Tim Reed. Thanks very much to him for taking an hour out of his day to very patiently answer my endless list of questions. Keep an eye on beheard.regina.ca for that final survey about whether or not we should put an arena downtown. That should be live soon if it isn't already. And with that, you've been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR. I was your host, Paul DeShane. Aiden Morgan will return next week with the results of his silverfish research. Music for the Queen City Improvement Bureau is provided by Ryan Hill, a.k.a. Guidewire. You can find more of his music on Bandcamp. And you can find all of our old QCIB episodes on our website, queencityib.com. Coming up next on CJTR, music, programming, and all sorts of stuff all through the night. Keep on improving, Regina. Regina.